I'll say there was three things I think that I had to overcome to get to the space I'm at now. One is fear of judgment, both good and bad. Like sometimes I didn't want people to tell me like I was doing a good job because I was like, oh man, now I have to keep that up. Right. Like, great. Right. And then the bad stuff, of course, you know, and here's the thing. If you don't have people having negative opinions about you, you're just not bold enough and you're not big enough. Like it's going to happen. Right. And then the second thing was like fear, like fear, it's all going to go away. Fear of failure, fear of losing money. That's just part of life. Right. I think that's the second thing you had to get over or learn how to manage when I say, once they get it over, like you never really get over it. It just, you just manage it better. And then the third thing was success and tolerance. That's something that I just put like a label on, like I think last year. And once I put a label on it and I was able to name it, I was able to tame it, right? I was able to learn how to overcome success and tolerance. And that's something I deal with in my group a lot um, with the 1% Women's Club is success and tolerance is like the idea that if it does become wildly successful, that you're going to lose control of it. Are you looking for opportunities to invest in passive real estate syndications? Join our exclusive community at FastFire Capital, where we're dedicated to bringing doctors and other high-income earners priority access to the best opportunities to invest in large multifamily and other types of commercial properties. Not only that, by being part of the community, you'll get exclusive access to webinars and Q&As where you'll be able to raise your passive investing IQ. To join our community, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. Again, that address is semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. When you daydream about your future, I'll bet it doesn't include you still working into your 60s and 70s. But unless you're actively taking steps to break the cycle of trading time for money, that's the future most of us face. Ignite Your Journey will lay out a roadmap to show you how to finally break that cycle and achieve true financial freedom. And it'll show you how to do it in just three to five years rather than the 20 or so it takes for traditional investments or saving in your retirement accounts. For more information, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash IYJ. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, a place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Building Wealth podcast. Today, we're really excited to have Dr. Hala Sabre joining us. And for all of you women out there, you know who she is. She's led PMG, Physician Moms Group, for quite some time um, and started it several years ago and then has branched out to do all kinds of things, including starting her own business, coaching 1% women. So those are women who are business owners and then also leaders in the space. So we're going to hear all about her entrepreneurial journey. Welcome, Hala. Thank you. And I want to say, I think more people know you guys <laughs> than me. I was just working. I just, I was sharing with you before we started that I just started this you know, new job last week, like a clinical job, um, because I still want to practice medicine. So that's one thing I want to like mention to you guys, just because you choose entrepreneurship doesn't mean it's an either or that you have to leave your old identity behind or, or the, the work that you love, right? Like you could do both, right? So I work when I want and how I want, but somebody was talking about real estate and I was, you know, talking about real estate with them. And we were talking about syndications and single family homes and like my, my journey 
you know, through real estate as well. And they were like, do you know who Letty and Kenji are? And I'm like, do I know them? <laughs> like, of course I know them. So I just want to say, you know, I hope your ears were ringing last week because there's so many people that love your work and are positively affected by it. So I'm so happy that you guys would even invite me to be in your space. So thank oh you. Oh my gosh. We're so happy to have you. Yeah. I think one Yay. of the things that sets you so apart from people is how you've built communities. So maybe that's where we start. Um, and I definitely want to delve into entrepreneurship, but can you talk to us about community building? Cause I know that's really the core of what a lot of people do who are physicians who are starting out and becoming entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I didn't even really understand what community building was. In fact, I got like a big slice of humble pie. I was like sitting with Barack Obama's um, national field director at at a breakfast that was, it was an orchestrated meeting by people. And he was like, oh, you know, so you're a community organizer. And I'm like, no, I'm just a doctor. And he's like, yeah, but you, you lead this community. And I was like, oh, is that like the name of it? Like community organizer? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's like, it's a real science. I was like, it is? I'm like, where do you get this education? Because it (laughs) wasn't at UC Irvine, you know, where I went to college. It's a science school, you know? And so he's like, yeah, it's like Barack Obama. That's what he was. And I was like, oh, I just thought he like owned a couple of YMCAs or something. It's really embarrassing for me to even say that story, but it's true. I didn't know what a community leader was. But the truth is, is that, you know, I built it, but I, I, I I was doing it, but I didn't know what it was. And I think that I built it out of loneliness. You know, I, a lot of people think that I have like some master plan. I'm so smart, like kind of like the Taylor Swift of, you know, physicians where I plan everything like, you know, 10 years in advance and have all these Easter eggs, but it's not true. I built it because I wanted to quit and I felt like a lot of pressure. I thought, you know, hiring a nanny and figuring out how she was going to match my shift work schedule. It was too hard and that I would spend too much money. I lived in money scarcity as well. And then I had student loans. I laugh now, it's like $151,000. And I thought it was like, you would you would think I was treating it like it was a million dollar loan, you know? And I was like so suffocating. And so I was like, gosh, like how do other women do it? And then I looked around and I realized I don't have any other women to ask. And then I realized how isolating medicine is, especially for women. They kind of pit each, you know, us against each other, right? Because there's usually like only a certain number of spots for women. And so I had to learn how not to be competitive with women or be wary of their competitiveness too, um, and really collaborate. And so I just started a group of 20 people just to ask, like, how do you guys hire a nanny? And now it's 120,000 plus. And now we're asking questions like, how do we actually fight for equity in medicine? How do we fight for increased wages? You know, we built a national holiday, like we've done a lot more advocacy work. So it's definitely grown. But yeah, so for all of you guys that are starting businesses or thinking about it, you know, your idea may start small, it may grow, it may get deeper. You just don't never know where it's going to go. And I think the roller coaster of entrepreneurship is so exciting. But at the same time, that can really freak people out, especially people who like a lot of stability and um, like don't like to be surprised or they they know they, they're very routine, right? And they, and they don't want to like change that routine. It can be really scary. And so I'll say, you know, I started it, had no idea what I was starting, but now here I am you know, 10 years later, business owner, consultant, TV show producer, like all these things, all from building community. Looking back, do you have any thoughts or, or insights about what made that group successful? Why it grew so quickly and, and so large? Yeah, I think a few things. One is there wasn't a group of that kind, you know, so now there's tons, right? And so, and that's great because people will differentiate a project, product. And I want to say like, if you have a really great idea, that's what's going to happen is people are going to copy it, right? Like, so that's normal, right? And so that's good. And, but no one's ever going to be you and they will always serve in a different capacity. And it's not anybody being better than the other, right? And so I'll say like, I think, I think it was new. It was a new idea, right? This idea like behind the white coat, like what really happens and a safe space for physicians to finally say like, 
I don't know what I'm doing or like, I'm scared, right? Like to actually say those things. And then the second thing is, I think, I mean, I didn't know at the time, you know, some of the talents I had in, in building relationships. I really didn't really know that, but I would do little things like, you know, especially when it was like really new, like things like, you know, really validate a lot of people's feelings, not tell them they're wrong, things like that. You know, it was just a lot of validation, giving space. Right. And I think people just want to be seen and heard. I think at the end of the day, you know, and I think that's what I gave them as a community leader. So I think those two things together caused massive growth. And, you know, I help companies um, in a consultant fashion. I help companies grow their community around their products. So they don't have to depend on influencers or cold ads or marketing and things like that. And it's interesting, like, you know, to teach that over and over and over again. Um, So it's really fun to like revisit my early days and replicate that over and over and over again. And to really be considered an expert in the field is so fun. Yeah, it's really amazing. I think that a lot of people devalue their strengths that they have in relation building. Um, We were just doing a mastermind and one of the members was saying, yeah, I'm, I, I'm really good at relationships, but it like doesn't feel like it's as legitimate as other things that people are good at, like analysis or, you know, building systems and processes. But it's actually one of the most important skills is relationship building. As people here in real estate, it all comes down to relationships. I know we had such an incredible example last week where Sunny was running her conference down here and her plane fell through 24 hours ahead before she was supposed to take it. It, 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 it was eight planes. <laughs> she was supposed to take them to VAKs to, and, uh, and ultimately it was a relationship that I had created that allowed her to find new planes in 24 hours in Puerto Rico, which was dr- dramatic and remarkable. Um, and all came down to a relationship. So can you say more about building relationships? I, I heard you say that it's really giving people space, helping them feel validated. Are there any really other keys that people should focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think relationships, it's funny, like they put us, I mean, for most of the people that are listening to this, they're in the medical field, probably, right? Doctors, dentists, pharmacists, whatever, who, I, I don't know, all of the people in your audience, but the people I have met, you know, they seem to be really medical. Um, and I'll say like, they kind of put you in a vacuum, you know, you start this like journey in your career, you know, in the early 20s, most people, right? And then they spit you out, you know, after you're done with training, like 10, 15 years later, and like, you haven't learned social skills. <laughs> it's like, it's just so hard. And it's actually like viewed as a soft skill, right? And so it kind of isn't valued as something, right? But I will say, I think relationship building is probably the most important thing. I mean, we are social creatures. And if you look at any history in business, it all comes down to relationships. And there's so many case studies like this. I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I love Disney like so much, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a little pathologic, but it's okay. And one of the things that one of the examples I always like to give about examples and, um, and and relationships is when Walt Disney wanted to build Disneyland, he was short by like many millions of dollars and the bank didn't believe in his idea. You know, they believed in it to give him like $2 million, but he needed like 14. And he's like, where am I going to get the rest of the money? Right. So most people think about your entrepreneurial journey, right? You're like, I want to really invest in this like property with Letty and Kenji or whatever it may be. Right. And you're like, but I need X amount of dollars. Where am I going to get it from? Right. And, and it's really easy to just be like, Oh, I can't do it. Right. It's really easy. Right. So someone like Walt, he was like, no, I really, really believe in my, in my, uh, my vision. And he's like, let me see who else can believe in my vision. So he started going to other companies. And one of the companies he went to is Coca-Cola. And he was like, listen, I know I'm going to need drinks. (laughs) Like people are going to come in and they're going to need to drink something. Is there a way, right? He's like thinking of how he can cut costs. He's like, is there a way? 
that you could provide the drinks for a period of time, you know, and like help me out, like to decrease my operating costs, you know? And Coca-Cola was like, yeah, we could do that. Um, we'll do that. We'll like kind of like we we trust you, we believe in you, we believe in your vision and everything that you've done. And he's like, Hey, you know, I'll repay you. And he's like, they're like, well, look, let's just repay the repayment plan was not a dollar amount. It was like you will never use a non-Coca-Cola product in your parts. Mm. Right. And it was a handshake. Until today, there is no record of this deal. They just know this and they, because of trust and a relationship, this is how it's done. So if you're ever at Disney, look around, everything they own is Coca-Cola. That's what it is, right? That's what they serve. And so I just want to say that like friends, the right friends of who you're around can help you get to where you want to be, right? And it's really, really important. We don't do anything in silo. We don't do anything alone. We're not, you know, these unique creatures, right? We do everything together. So relationship building is really important. And networking, you know, is a whole nother level of it. So I love that there's spaces like yours and, you know, like mine in um, 1% Women's Club and a little bit of PMG too. But more of the 1% Women's Club is really that mindset of like, you know, I'm building this, right? And you don't have people around you going, you shouldn't do that. You might lose money. That sounds dumb, right? <laughs> you know, we have enough of that. We don't need another person in our life doing that. They're like, hey, how can I help you, right? And so it's really, really special. And, and I've really enjoyed your friendship with me in that way too. I mean, I've had lots of discussions with you guys about that, you know, even over breakfast, you know? So I, I know it's been really fun to grow with people with a growth mindset. Can you talk to us about kind of transitioning and building PMG and jumping off that and then going and building this consulting business and then the 1% Women's Club? Because you've done a number of really unique, big things within entrepreneurship. And so I want to hear, I want people to hear about the variety available to them. Yeah. You know, I, I've been actually really quiet about that part. So I'm glad that you're asking that. So yeah, when I built PMG, initially, um, you know, I was just trying to keep up with it. I was like, you know, I remember saying this word over and over and over again, this phrase, like I felt like every decision I made was going to cause the group to implode. And it was going to be like a fatal error. Like that's very dramatic wording, but I'm using the exact wording I used, you know, about eight years ago. And eventually I kind of got over myself. And in in fact, (laughs) I remember telling that to one of the CEOs of um, Facebook, um, his name's Chris Cox. And he had asked me like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I feel like every, every day I'm going to make a fatal error and my group's going to implode. And he was like, wow. And he's like, you should hire a coach. And I was so mortified because I thought one, I thought he was going to validate me. He's like, yep, that's how it is. You know, like, yeah, I know me too. Right. And I also didn't know what a coach was. So I felt stupid, you know, and I already felt like this like fraudulent feeling like I was like this leader of the group. Right. But anyways, after I actually implemented those changes, right. Then I started realizing like, oh my God, there's so many opportunities out there that I'm not even seeing because I was so in my head. So what are the opportunities that I had? Well, people knew about PMG, right? Not only did Facebook know about it and they, and I eventually went to go work with Facebook. I worked for Facebook for a year, but they tell everybody about me. I'll get calls. Hey, so-and-so at Facebook, you know, told me I should talk to you. Like you're the expert, right? And so in the beginning, I was like helping all these people for free. So I want to tell everybody here, there was a lot of free stuff I did for many, many, many years before I even started collecting payment. Part of that was, you know, just gaining experience. And part of that was, I didn't know I could charge for that. So I'm glad I did that. Like, I don't look back with that with any regret, but I remember helping so many other communities build different companies were asking me questions. And eventually one of my first paid gigs was I got um, Lionsgate 
reached out to me, Lionsgate, the production company, the TV show, like, you know, before like the movies. Right. And I was like, what is this? Right. Like Lionsgate, how did I get into their ears? Right. And, you know, relationships, right. People know people, people talk. Right. And so, yeah. So I remember going to a boardroom with a lot of executives and creators of previous programs. And they told me about this idea that they wanted to prove that if patients, if people had access to good doctors and not prohibited by insurance, that they could actually get the healthcare that they need. And I was like, yeah, that's what we do in PMG all the time. We crowdsource information all the time. Like, oh, I have this problem or who's the specialist for this and that, you know, I was like, yeah, I could do that. And I'm an ER doctor. So clinically, like I can assess situations and try to help people. Right. And so that was like the first gig that I remember, like, I mean, the first like real paid gig that, you know, I got paid a lot of money, like more than medicine. And so it was really fun. And then I was like, oh, I can make this a whole consulting business. And this was at the end of 2019. So think about it, five years, I was community building, helping people. Um, And my ROI, my return on investment for helping people for free was like really like access to their communities, to their networks, to their resources, right? To their brains, right? And it seemed like a really even exchange. And then I started charging. And then I was like, and then from there, then they were like, oh, you're the medical producer for this show. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Right. And, um, and then it started growing. And so I was like, I think I remember turning to my husband one night and I was like, I think I'm going to start this as a business. And then we were taking your course at the time. I think that was like your second time launching it or something like that. And one of your first slides was talking about limiting beliefs, you know? And I mean, I knew the term because I had been working with a coach, uh, but my husband didn't know the term. And so the next night, I remember telling him, I think I'm going to open this business. We were watching one of your modules because we were doing our homework. And the next day, my husband wakes up and he's like, I think I have a limiting belief about my career. He's like, I'm watching you do all these amazing things. And my husband's a rocket engineer. So it's not like he's <laughs> not doing amazing things himself, but he was limiting himself. you know. And, he, and I said, well, what would you do if there was no limitations? And he was like, I would go work for Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. And he he presents directly to him, right? And so it's really fun to see how the contagiousness of like even meeting you, Letty, I remember I met you at a retreat I threw in the spa mm-hmm. and like meeting you. And I had just come off that TV show. We were in the middle of taping. Right. And then, you know, a couple of months later, me affecting my husband and, you know, it's just, you know, it's just a ripple effect. Right. And so, so yeah, so, the, so I'll say that the road to where I'm at right now was not a straight line. It was a lot of free stuff. It was built with I'll say there was three things I think that I had to overcome to get to the space I'm at now. And I know that this will be relevant to anything that you guys are doing, um, not only letting Kenji, but also people listening is um, three things. One is fear of judgment, both good and bad. Like sometimes I didn't want people to tell me like I was doing a good job because I was like, oh man, now I have to keep that up. Right. <laughs> like, great. Yeah. Right. And then the bad stuff, of course, you know, and you know, here's the thing. If you don't have people having negative opinions about you, you're just not bold enough and you're not big enough. Like it's going to happen. Right. And then the second thing was like fear, like fear, it's all going to go away, fear of failure, fear of losing money, fear, you know, that, that's just part of life. Right. I think that's the second thing you had to get over or learn how to manage when I say, once they get it over, like you never really get it over. It just, you just manage it better. And then the third thing was success and tolerance. That's something that I just put like a label on, like I think last year. And once I put a label on it and I was able to name it, I was able to tame it. Right. I was able to learn how to overcome success and tolerance. And that's something I deal with in my group a lot um, with the 1% Women's Club is success and tolerance is like the idea that if it does become wildly successful, that you're going to lose control of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's going to, it's going to consume you. Like you're going to lose your freedom and your choice. Right. I've talked about that before. It's like, 
knowing that you have freedom and choice, right? And that that's going to be taken away from you if you're so successful. So that was something like, you know, with even the consulting business, I was like kind of really scared to take on clients. I was like, oh, what does this mean? Does this mean I'm not going to be able to like go to my kid's soccer game, right? Or is this going to affect the way that I can work clinically, you know, or like whatever it may be. And I just realized, no, like I just decide what I want to do and I just do it. Right. I just have my boundaries and my expectations and I just do that. Right. And so I think those are the three things I would advise anybody listening to really be cognizant of and have good processes in your brain that you can manage because those are the three obstacles that I had that took me the longest to work through. And now, you know, the way I view obstacles is they're just opportunities. They're just opportunities for growth. And I think those are the three ways I would advise anybody listening to grow. Yeah, that success intolerance, I've never heard anyone say, but I think it's a really, really valuable concept for people to get because I think what happens is we realize, for example, that we have the choice to be in the job we're in, right? We have the choice mm-hmm. to be physicians. We have all these choices around us. We mm-hmm. say, okay, let's go invest in real estate, right? And you start building this real estate portfolio, it gets bigger and more successful, and you forget you have a choice there too, right? And you can always give mm-hmm. it. That's the thing. We moved down to Puerto Rico. But we came here knowing like, hey, let's try it for a few years. We can always pivot. You always have the opportunity to change what you're doing if you're not enjoying the process. So you are always in control. You just, I think each time we start something new and it becomes successful, we forget that we have choices and we are still in control. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at like examples of, I was just watching like a TikTok, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago about, who was it? Jerry Seinfeld. He was on um, some show. Maybe it was like, uh, who cares? It doesn't really matter wh- where he was at. But they were asking him like why he stopped doing Seinfeld when he did because it was in his prime. And he was like, well, that was always the goal is to, to stop in my prime. Like he didn't want to be a husband. He didn't want to like have viewership stop dropping and then leaving, right? Like, so he can always make that choice, even though people may not agree with your choice or be surprised by the choice or say, if I was in that position, I would make a different choice. That's great. Like that's fine for everybody else, but you always have a choice and you see you know, people exercising it every day. And sometimes you don't see it. Like, you know, with Jerry Seinfeld, I, I wasn't really a big fan of Seinfeld. I didn't watch it a lot, you know, when it was on. But like, just even seeing him with such maturity, even like, you know, 15, 20 years later, saying, yeah, it had its life and, it, and it's time and I'm going to move on. So you guys always have that choice. And one, one of the practices I do for myself and I encourage all my clients to do too, is I'm really big on values. And when I was um, a client, first a client, I mean, I'm always a client of coaching, but when I first entered the field, I knew about values, but most of the talks about values is how to pick them, you know, or the importance of picking them, right? But nobody ever tells you what to do with them. It's like, okay, great. I have these like labels, like, and then what do I do with it, right? Like, I don't know how to exercise it. And so I had to learn how to exercise the values and then teach it, right? And so that's the other thing I do with my clients. I teach them how to teach it, to pick their values, exercise them. And then we do a six month, every six months we do an assessment and basically, and I'll tell you guys what it is. I do this assessment where I list everything that I'm doing, right? Anything that takes time, right? I list it. Then I write, you know, how much time does it actually take? Right? So a lot of my clients are like, Oh, I just go to this one meeting once a quarter. I'm like, write it down. Right. Cause that meeting is once a quarter, say it's two hours, that's eight hours of your life. Like, let's just write it down. Right. Um, what is the actual ROI that you're getting out of it? Right. So is it money? Is it proximity? What like what is it that you're getting out of it? Right. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Just write it out. And then the last column is what is the value that you're expressing through it? And then we do an assessment and we rank it. Like what are the things that you know you need in your life to continue to express your values the way that you're doing? So for example, one of my values is innovation. I know that's not probably surprising to people hearing this, right? 
I innovate lots of new projects. And in fact, that's probably like one of the downfalls is I'm always like, oh, that's a good idea. Let me do it. Right. And then I have to like practice constraint. Right. But sometimes I innovate projects to a point and then I'm like, I think I'm, I think I, I birthed this baby and now I'm ready to put it up for adoption. Right. Or I'm ready to like give it to somebody else that needs a baby. Right. And so it gives me a good exercise every six months to look and be like, okay, I'm going to continue this. I'm not going to continue this. Even when we were talking earlier today about some of my other projects, and I'm like, I have that on hold right now. It's on the nightstand. It's okay. It's there. Nothing's going to happen. No urgency, no FOMO. Like everything I do is very strategic, very planned out. And it's based off of like doing a frequent assessment. Like just like you would with patients, right? Like you don't just give them medicine and then just never check on them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Right? I really love that. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would, you know, get a nurse to call you if something was happening or you would check on them your next shift or before you left your shift, right? Whatever it may be, right? So it's like you always have to assess what you start and then make sure that there's an indication to keep going, right? And we always do this in in medicine clinically, right? So I do it in my life with everything else I do. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Movement Mortgage. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. We've been working with Dan and his team for over eight years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at srmd@movement.com to get a free consultation. And also let him know that you're part of the Semi-Retired MD community to get an exclusive discount on your next loan. Now back to the episode. Wow. I love it. It's the first time yeah. I've heard that too, man. You're creating all kinds of amazing in your coaching pro- uh, program. Tell us um, what kind of things you're getting out of leading this because you're teaching women about leadership, right? And so what are some patterns that you're seeing and uh, things that maybe some female listeners can take from mm-hmm. experiences? I mean, the truth is I teach about everything. I mean, I technically, I think I would categorize myself as a general life coach for women who are 1% earners. But I will say that like, I teach them three steps, not all at once. Okay. <laughs> it's like it's slowly and gradually. Right. One is um, the first thing I, I, I teach them. You can't really lead. You can't do anything that you want to do and create more success without owning the success that you have now. Like you just can't. And I think a lot of people initially, when they come into my world, they think that they have owned their success. They're like, well, I'm a board certified physician or I'm a lawyer. Or I'm a pharmacist. Or I'm a dentist. Like, you know, all of the things that they are. And they're like, look, I have my degree. Right. I have this website that says, like, I'm important, right? I got a gold star, right? And I'm like, yeah, but really, though, do you really believe that you're as amazing as your CV? Let's talk about that. And so I have carved out 12 BS thoughts that are indicator to me that you haven't clearly owned your success. And I'm always still working on these thoughts. I'm working every day to own my success, right? So it's not something that all of a sudden you own and then you move on to the next step. No, you're always, always practicing owning, owning your success. Now, why is it important to practice your, you know, owning your success? is you cannot build more success on an unstable foundation. Just can't. I've tried it. It doesn't work. 
you know, you're always, always questioning yourself. There's a lot of lack of um, confidence. There's, you know, the success intolerance, there's fear of failure. There's, you know, fear of judgment. There's just so much that goes on. Right. And if you're just building, right. That's like putting perfume on, you know, smoke or something like that. Right. Like you still smell it, right. Like it's still there. Right. Versus just taking a shower and stop smoking. Right. And then you, you can continue wearing the perfume. And so, so yeah, so the second thing is like building more success. And so the reason why I think it's important to build more success is like, why not? Like we're growing all the time, you know, and the people in my world always want to grow. They don't have to, but they want to. And when you have the capacity to build more success, right, then you actually like live in the zone of abundance, which is so fantastic. And I know that you guys live in that. And that doesn't mean that you don't have like dips of scarcity and dips of all these things, but you know, to really like be in that zone is so fun. And the reason why I think it's so important for women, sorry, Kenji, but for women to be in that zone is studies show that when women have resources, it doesn't matter if it's money, power, influence, it doesn't matter what it is, that they give 90% of it back to their family and to their community. And so I'm a firm believer that if I help more women get into abundance, then the world will just be a better place. And that's just what I firmly believe. And I've seen this in so many things. I mean, there's so many experiences I've had through community building. Like I worked with UNICEF and I went over to Ethiopia to look at a project that they did to just, you know, kind of look at a case study of like success of how they like resolved the tetanus epidemic in the country. And it was all on the backs of women, mm-hmm. women in the community. Right. And so I started thinking a little bit more about like, wow, like if women are really this powerful and I already knew it and my, my community is this powerful because there's women in it. What if I took the ones that are not in survival mode, that they're ready to actually move the needle and I took them into a coaching space? Because, you know, the thing about coaching, you guys, is that like, you know, it's funny, like even, even before I knew what coaching was, it's like, this sounds so intuitive and like, why are people charging for this? And like all this stuff, right? But until you actually experience it and, you know, the, the truth is, is that the majority of CEOs have coaches. This is why they're successful. And the majority of CEOs, you have to remember in this world are men, right? So like just take a step back and appreciate what a well-managed and well-produced mind can actually like to give you. And even like my husband, like when he got his job at Jeff's company, they gave him his, you know, onboarding paperwork. They gave him a mentor and they gave him a coach. And even Facebook, when I worked for Facebook, I was a contractor, but for the employees, they give them coaching a certain number of sessions a year because these companies know that the less that you're thinking about yourself, and all the ways that you can fail and all the negative talk and that soundtrack, if you could take it out of your brain, you actually create amazing, amazing things. And when you create amazing, amazing things, amazing value, that turns into money, right? We know that. And so I want my women to own their success, create a crap load of it more at whatever they want, whatever that means for them. And then really like just live their legacy, like live it, right? We all create a legacy. But it depends. Do you want to create it on purpose? So my women do. And they want to enjoy it while they're alive, not just be in an obituary, right? And so so it's really fun. So some of the things I'm helping my women do, like one of my clients, she's creating this whole program in Ukraine with skin grafting to help, you know, burn victims there and victims of war. One of my women is creating an orphanage in another country. And one of my other women is is an author and creating amazing content. And some of them are, you know, one of them is one of your clients actually that is like just totally increasing her portfolio of short-term rentals, right? So they're just, they're doing so many things. And some of them are just enjoying their life. They don't even have to build anything new. They're just being more present with their kids, 
that is rich. That is wealth. I know you talk about wealth at the end of the podcast, but like, I think that's wealth is actually really enjoying what you're producing. And you're just not this like robot just Mm -hmm. producing stuff just to say that you're producing or just to produce to think you have value. Mm -hmm. You actually enjoy it, you know? Yeah. I think um, physicians and especially women physicians, we get in this cycle that we think that only by being productive are we valuable. And we start to measure ourselves by being productive all the time. And then we don't rest and we don't, we don't relax. We just run and run and run because our value is tied to being productive. And so that's what I just heard from you is it's, it's actually enjoying the journey and not only aiming for something and feeling like only then will you be valuable only then through achievement, you know, are you good enough? Mm -hmm. Because I do think that that is something we as, as, High achievers oftentimes get into as physicians for sure, especially women, because I mean, and there's a real history behind this. So one of the one of the certifications I did is this feminist coaching program, and I know Bonnie has done it, and Bonnie's one of your coaches mm-hmm. too. But one of the things I learned in that program, and it's led by a lawyer mm-hmm. that um, she was a reproductive rights lawyer, and uh, now she just does coaching. She doesn't she doesn't practice law, but she's so fantastic, and she did this like almost like a deep dive. Like I felt like I was taking like a history lesson, right? And the reason why we are socialized to believe this, like there's so many reasons, but one of the reasons why is that in this country, especially in the United States, um, even though this affects women all around the world, women didn't have rights really (laughs) until, you know, maybe like the 1920s. And then, you know, BIPOC women didn't have really full rights until the 1970s. And you would, you would argue that maybe we, we don't even have rights now. I mean, we can't even make the decision on having an abortion in, you know, so many states, right? Like there's so many things that we don't have the rights to do and we're not looked at as, as, as valued. And one of the things I know I've talked about with you that affects like finances too, is, you know, we couldn't even take out loans without permission from our husband, you know, since, you know, 1974 or something like that. And so, you know, and the reason you know, that we were always told that we couldn't have the same as a man is because we didn't produce as much, right? Because it all came down to taxes, right? So it's like, well, men can vote because they actually pay taxes because they, they work, they work, right? Women didn't really work at that time, right? And so it's like, well, if you don't have skin in the game, then you're not going to vote, right? So women are like, but wait, like the World War One happened and we were like covering for the men, right? So can we vote now? Right. And then that's actually how the suffrage movement happened. Right. And then now we're seeing like more of like the financial awakening. And that's why I fight for equity. I don't, I, when I started PMG, I kept focusing on equality and I realized equality is not the problem. Equality is inevitable. It's going to happen. Right. Where we're going to have laws and we're going to go through our, you know, trials and tribulations and medicine. We're increasing the number of women physicians. All of that's going to happen. But if we don't have equity now, we're not going to have equity then. Just like money scarcity. Like for all of you guys that are investing in real estate, because you're like, oh, I don't have enough money. If you don't think you have enough money now, you can have a million dollars in the bank and still think that you don't have enough money, mm-hmm. right? Money is just a circumstance, right? We know that. So so that's what I fight for a lot more is equity. And part of equity is what you were saying is like really understanding. And that's, that's the way I coach too. I coach from understanding how we're socialized to believe, not only as women, but also as I have a lot of my clients also are BIPOC or they're first generation immigrants. And there's a whole nother mindset there and, you know, of like kind of being the underdog and having to prove themselves a little bit more than the other women that are here. There's like a very transactional nature of it. And, um, and I speak to that. I mean, it's my lived experience too. I'm first generation here in the United States. Right. And so I speak to it as well. Um, and that's a lot of the BS thinking I had to undo to actually create the success I have now. And I want that for everybody, everybody listening for you, for everybody. 
Mm-hmm. So. Amazing. Amazing. I just, you're making such an incredible difference. And I just, you're really excited hearing about all the things you're doing. And um, I just want to highlight also what you were saying a little bit ago about even if you have a million dollars, you have $10 million, it's never going to mm-hmm. be enough. Or if it feels like enough, you're going to be worried about losing it. Like that's oh. that. Yes, what happens to people, yeah. and so uh-huh. you've got to start working on it now, and you, you got to let how much you have right now be enough, and that's going to set you 1, up. You don't, you don't struggle the rest of your life, and you're a billionaire, and you still don't have enough, or you're or you're scared of losing it because you don't want to have money mm-hmm. for the whole part of your life, and you literally can fix that right mm-hmm. now. Um, it's always a process, right? <laughs> it's going to be something that maybe comes up down the road and you're going to have to tackle it. It's, it's like everything. It's, it's a process. It's not going to be one and done, but it mm-hmm. can ultimately get a lot of it taken care of right now, even with the amount of money you have. So I hope people hear that too. Mm-hmm. So let's transition to the last couple of questions we have for you. Mm-hmm. So what is your definition of wealthy? We've talked a lot about money, but I'm guessing it's, not I know, I know. I think, I think the definition of wealth is actually living your life. Now, I think, what, what do I mean by that? So most of my clients and probably most of the people listening, right, they really focus a lot on their career and money, right? And there's a lot of reasons why we do that. Well, first of all, there's an economic necessity to that, right? Like I need to make money to live, right? Like that's, I need to have like my physiological needs met. And then, you know, after that, you're like, oh, and I want this person, I want this house and I want this, you know, whatever it may be, right? Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I like to teach is actually living the, your whole life, right? And so there's six avenues that we can express our values from through. It's career and money, which is two of them. Your relationships, as far as like your friends and family, your romantic relationships, whether you're partnered or not, um, your health, which is obviously very important, and also um, your spirituality, whether that means religion or just feeling connected to the universe, it doesn't really matter. And so when people say like, oh, I want more balance, Like the way I define that is like actually living in all six of those, Mm -hmm. right? The truth is like, we don't, right? We only live in like two of those most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so stop living just a third of your life, live your whole life. Um, I think that's the definition of wealth. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the wheel yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the wheel of life. And, working and on that. Yeah, we've been working on it in our community too, which is like looking at it and kind of seeing where you are on a scale of one to 10 and seeing the areas that you're actually neglecting and maybe you want to work on mm-hmm. and kind of grow out to be equivalent to more of those areas like business and finance, which we all work on all the time, right? Or, or what we were saying earlier, make all of them a 10 now, right? Mm-hmm. In your mind. I mean, you're always going to be working on it. But... And you're always improving and growing, right? Right. And what if you're 10 now, like say we decide it's a 10, mm-hmm. right? Like what if we actually thought that maybe a 10 now is really a five later? Like mm-hmm. there's always room to, for it to be so much more rich and deep and valued, right? And so I think it's really important. I think also when I find that I do like this like life wheel, like what you're mentioning, like it's a lot from um, what makes it a 10. Like if you ask somebody like, okay, what would make it a 10 if you know your health is like a seven, right? It's a lot of thoughts that are usually built off of scarcity and not thoughts on building on values. And Mm so, you know, just even like going through that transition with them, right? So there's a lot of like amazing work, deep work to do there. And that's something I just like absolutely love. And I love that you do that because it's so important. So I think living wealthy is really living your whole life, but not from a place of scarcity, really like through values. And so that's, that's how I would answer that question. Amazing. 
what is one mindset, habit, or strategy that separates someone who is wealthy versus someone who is not? Um, I think two things. I think one is really understanding your values and knowing how to exercise them. And I also think, like, I, I know we all have like a deep why, or we say we think we do, right? But really understanding what it is. And I think when we look at like big legacy makers, their why is very, very obvious. Like, so for example, like, you know, Oprah, her, if you ever like do a deep dive on her, she's always said like she wants to be known as a teacher by sh- by highlighting and, and elevating other people's stories, right? And education. And so everything that she does is under that umbrella, right? The TV show, her movie, like she's about to come out with a new movie. Well, not it's a, it's a new rendition of Color Purple, I think. She opens schools to educate girls. Like everything that she does is under that teacher educator model, right? Steve Jobs, he wanted to change how humans interacted with technology. It wasn't about making the next iPhone to make it better than Samsung or whatever it may be. It was how do we interact with technology? And now like we can't imagine, like I never take my wallet anywhere and I'm appalled when somebody doesn't take Apple Pay. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never coming here again. (laughs) You know, so it's so funny, right? Like his legacy is just to make our lives so much easier and maybe a little bit more scarier with technology, right? Like that's what it is, right? And so so choose a, a, a why that's like beyond you, right? And then it's gonna be easy to show up consistently for yourself. And so for me, my why for my mission, and this was a huge shift for me. And I can tell you how I, I created that. But my, my huge why is like, I want to be known for helping create and promote and inspire more leaders, not followers. And that was a really big reason why I created my coaching space. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I never stopped working on PMG. There was many times I wanted to quit PMG. So many. I've had people offer me money for it, like lots of money like life-changing money, you guys, you know, and I know what they're going to do with it. And that's good for them. That's awesome. But what I want is I don't want to be treated as an influencer. I don't want to be treated. And, you know, a lot of people reach out to me asking me to be an affiliate or to be, you know, help them with ads and things like that. And that's one thing I just, I love buying from affiliate, from, from influencers. I buy way too much stuff. You can ask my husband, there's always something on our porch, right? I don't mind that. I just don't want that to be my legacy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I want to teach somebody it's almost like teaching somebody how to fish instead of like giving them fish to eat, right? Like I want to, I want to teach people how to create opportunities and not just look to find something or depend on me, right? And so it's a really important thing. So I, I, I carry that on everything with it, whether it's businesses. Like now, I don't work as an influencer with businesses, but I'll help them. I'll help them create raving communities that they don't have to use people like me with my clients, right? I help them lead, own their success, create more of it. And then give it all away, right? I help them. So it's very, very clear to me. So that was, that's something I, that was a really long answer to your question, Kenji, but like, that's what I would say. It's like really develop a strong why. And you don't have to develop it like at the end of this podcast, like it's going to take time to develop that. But something that really speaks to your core, once you really are comfortable with your values. So my values are, you know, innovation, love, knowledge, and inspiration. Like I can just, and I can tell you all the ways I'm doing it. Right. But my mission just exuberates all of that. And it's just like so fun so fun to live. It's so fun to do everything I'm doing. And I, and, and it's fun to go to work and I have a shift later on today. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm so excited to go. I'm like so excited. And that wasn't me, you know, even, you know, six, seven years ago, you know, I was like, I would count down the hours to my shift right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Oh my God, how fun, you know, how much fun I'm going to have today. I get to meet so many people. Right. It's like, it's just so fun. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and these are choices I'm making. I don't have to work clinically, but I, I choose to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. 
Yeah. yeah, no, I think this is, there's a book by Patrick Lencioni called Three Questions for a Frenzied Family. And it's about running your family like a business and coming up with your core oh. cultural values and your rallying cry, which is kind of your mission statement. Yeah. And so you really have the opportunity to do it not only for yourself as an individual, but also for your family and then also for your business. And, and but oh, I'm going to have to read it. Yeah. Taking them the time to do it, right. Gives you so much clarity that every decision afterwards becomes easier. So it, it there is some upfront cost in time and energy and effort, but it's so valuable because it will save you time long-term and it will also stop you from making mistakes that maybe weren't aligned with what you actually wanted, but you signed up for something and later on you regretted it. So I think, I think it's a really incredible practice and I hope people take the time to be able to set aside a couple hours at least to think about it. Think about you know what is their... Another way to put it is vocation, right? What what do they really want to be in the world and be seen as in the world, but also how do they want to affect and change the world? And then what are the values that they want to have to guide their life of who they want to be? So thank you, Hala. Can, yeah. you, tell people, no, thank you. can you tell people how to find you and how to learn oh, yeah. all the stuff you're doing? Yeah, for people who don't know about PMG, and it is, it is a co-ed space. Um, I have four four groups under that umbrella. Um, one of them is only for women and the rest are co-ed, but you can go to mypmg.com and there's an area where you can apply to be part of the group. I do vet everybody and make sure that they do have the degree of MD, DO, or MBBS. And for those of you that are not, you can always reach out to me through there and ask, you know, if there's another community for you, because I probably help build that. And I can always direct you that way. For people who are interested in coaching and actually like growing your mindset, then I have the 1% Women's Club and that opens um, a few times a year. And the next time it's opening is uh, I'm opening in, ju- in June for registration for July 1st. Um, and you can reach out to halasabri.com slash club and you can get on the wait list there. But yeah, I think, and I, you know, I answer all of my messages too. It's like, you, if you find me on Facebook, however you find me, um, but just reach out. Like, I think the one thing I don't want you guys to do is to like suffer alone because that's how I started. And it wasn't until I reached out to somebody for help that I actually like created everything and actually could be, I, I don't even think I would ever have met you, buddy, if mm-hmm. I didn't decide to reach out and start creating spaces, right? Because then right. I met Sunny and Sunny met you. And it's, you know, it's just like this whole like, and I came to your effect. retreat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Full, mm-hmm. full circle, right? And so it's just really fun. And so, so yeah. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, we love having you. And I just love seeing how you as a business owner have changed over the years too. All of us so much. All of us evolve and you know, get new skills and get new passions and and bring people along with us, which is really, really fun. So it's been such a pleasure to, to see what you're doing. And thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.